0: God, we're grateful today for your love for us. Jesus, we're grateful for your example, how to love each other well. God, I'm glad today that we can sing those words. To me, it's so wonderful to know that Jesus loves me just like I am. God, I pray today for those in this place maybe who have never heard that before. God, you are not to be appeased or to be feared. But God, because of your great love for us, because your word says that not just that you are loving, but that you are the very definition of love. And you've extended that love and grace to us. Your favor that we didn't deserve in and through your son, Jesus. And you've called us your own. You've opened the door to heaven. You've opened the door to eternal and abundant life. You have saved us from our sin and from eternity separated from you. Not because of anything that we have ever done or could do, but simply because of your grace. God, I know there are people here today that have never heard that before. Holy Spirit of God, only you can change a heart. So we invite you, welcome you, plead with you to draw men and women to yourself today that they may know that they are loved by you. In Christ's name, the people of God together said, amen. Um, hi, welcome to Baby Glenn. Good to see you. Uh, my name is Lucas Cooper, I'm the lead pastor here, and for those of you who I get the privilege of seeing uh, week in, week out, it's great to have you, great to see you. For those of you who are brand new with us, it's great to see you as well. I had, a, I had an awesome weekend, I actually got to officiate a wedding yesterday, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Pawn and Roussel actually are here, they got married yesterday, so again, no excuses. Um <laughs> Yeah, if, if you're wearing, where wondering where there's a guy in the front wearing a white tux. Uh, that's because he got married yesterday, and and looked looked a lot better than you then and and now. I just want you to know, yeah. And you're okay with that, yeah, yeah. yeah, You're all right, you're all right. Yeah, I kicked your coverage a little bit, buddy. That's all right. Um, so it was great. It was great to do that to celebrate God's grace in and through uh, the gift of marriage yesterday with those guys, and then uh, here here we are again on a Sunday morning to celebrate Jesus together to hear from His Word, and we're thrilled that you're here. Uh, with us we've been uh, we've got a couple of Sundays left here in this series it's called the hope of glory we've been studying the book of colossians colossians is a letter that the apostle paul wrote to the church in colossae and and we've called it the hope of glory because paul makes this radical nearly unbelievable statement in colossians uh, chapter 1 verse 27 he says that christ The creator and sustainer of the universe, the one who spoke into being all that we can see and cannot see and holds it together by the very word of his power lives in you. Can you believe that? lives in you, and he is the hope of glory, and so that's what we call the series, the hope of glory. And for those of us who have been tracking with us, you know that Paul spends the first half of his letter, Colossians chapters 1 and 2, talking about kind of these big truths about God, these big theological, uh, you know, big umbrella, 30,000 foot truths about God, and then in chapter 3, he makes this transition to talk about practical life applications, what that means for us on a day in and day out basis, especially for those, specifically for those who have been raised with Christ. We say that a bunch of different ways, people who are believers, people who are Christ followers, people who are Christians, people who are disciples of Christ. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3 verse 1, those who have been raised with Christ. Now there are some kind of marching orders, some life instructions for you. He talks about character. He talks about sexuality. He talks about Christian households. He talks about the way we think and what we love. He talks about all kinds of stuff. And then he begins to wrap up his letter in Colossians chapter 4. Like I said, we've got two weeks left. And what he does at the end of his letter is this very Pauline thing. Thing. And if you're familiar with Paul's letters at all, he does this in a lot of his letters. He just kind of starts going rapid fire a little bit in terms of life applications for believers. He's writing uh, this letter. In fact, in this particular case, he's dictating this letter, and then he signed it with his own hand. And so at the end of this letter, he just starts to go, okay, this and this and this and this. And so today we're gonna talk about one of those final exhortations, those final life applications that Paul gives in Colossians chapter four. And he talks about the, uh, the, the necessity for prayer in the life of believers. believer. So we're going to talk about prayer today. And then next week, we're going to talk about this second exhortation that Paul gives to us in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Basically, in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 4, he says, don't be a jerk for Jesus, essentially is what he says. Try not to be a boring Christian that nobody hangs out with. But that's next week, okay? That's next week. But today, we're talking about prayer. And before we get there, I want to share with you a little bit of what I've been learning myself when it comes to studying this book of Colossians. Those of you who know me and kind of know how I work, you know that I read and reread and re-re-read and re-re-re-read the passage that we're studying. So I've read through this book of Colossians over and over and over, over the last several months as we've been studying it, and one of the questions that keeps surfacing in my heart as I've read this book of, of Colossians is this, why has God given us rules and principles to live by? I, th- I think that's a critical question. I really do. And I'm going I to unpack it just a little bit, tell you why I think it's so critical. But this question that keeps coming up for me as I've read through the book of Colossians is why? Why has God given us? rules and principles to live by. You might call them commandments, but I'm deliberately going to stay away from that word to the best of my ability anyway, because when we talk about commandments, a lot of times we talk about the Ten Commandments, but I'm talking about much more than that. I'm talking about these exhortations, these rules and life principles that God gives us to live by. Why does he do that? Because Colossians 3 and 4 are filled with God's instructions for life, and not just Colossians 3 and 4, but the whole Bible itself, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, is full to the brim with God's life instructions, God's life principles, and so why are they there? If God is so concerned with getting them in there, and he is, by the way, why did he put them there? And, And I would venture to guess that many of you have actually never thought about this question. Like, you may be super dedicated to following God's life principles and everything that you see in the Scripture, as if you could actually do that, by the way, but that's beside the point. The point is, you may be super dedicated to doing that, but you've never asked the question, why? Why would God put them there? And for many of us, if we're honest, we think to ourselves, well, God has this moral code, and he wants me to be a better person. And so in order for me to be a better person, he's put these life principles in there. And so here's the thing, I would ask you this, Uh, God knows all things, right? He knows everything. He knows every thought that's ever crossed your mind. That's a scary thought. Just like, let that one sink, sink in for a minute. He knows every motivation that's ever been in your heart. He knows every bit of wickedness and evil that's ever lurked in there. He's known, he knows every time you had the opportunity to do good and chose not to do it, he knows that. He knows everything you've ever done wrong. So do you think it's a realistic expectation on the part of God to think you actually might be a really good person. So I don't think that's a realistic expectation. I know myself well enough, and God knows you well enough too. He didn't put those laws in there so that you could be a good person and and somehow impress him with your morality and tick all the boxes and say, I've done all the things that God put in his word for me to do so that I might become a good enough person to impress him. Or maybe if you're honest with yourself, you think God has given his commandments to you for ammunition. (laughs) And you use that ammunition against your spouse or use it against your kids or use it against your coworkers to try to manipulate them into doing the things that you think that they ought to do. You say, well, God's word really says this, and you, you know, bam, and you hit them with it. And you might not think it's ammunition, but But it is. It's ammunition, and and, and you're in a war. You might not feel like you're in a war, but if you're using God's word to manipulate people around you into getting them to do what you think they ought to do, they think they're in a war with you. At least being in a relationship with you feels like a war. Or maybe you think God's commandments are there so you could feel better about yourself. You know, you read the thing and you go, you know what, I pretty much do everything that God says I ought to do, and I stay away from the things that God uh, says I should stay away from, so my conscience is clear. I feel okay being me because I do the things that God told me to do or not to do. Or maybe, if you know the Bible well, you might quote Romans 7, 9 to me, and you say, okay, God, uh, God, Luke, God put his principles in there, his law, his commandments, so that we might know, so that it might become clear to us of our desperate need for him, that we could never live." up to perfection. We can never live up to those moral standards. We can never be that really good person that we just talked about a minute ago. We could never do that. So that's why God put his law in there. And I would agree with you. According to Romans 7, 9, all over the scripture, that's how, that's one of the reasons that God put his law in there. But If that's all God's life instructions are for, if that's all his commandments are for, if that's all his principles are for, then once it reveals to you that you need God and you need Jesus to become your righteousness because you have no righteousness of your own, after that, then why pay attention to his commandments at all? Like, why pay attention to God's instructions at all if that's all that they're for? There has to be more to that question. Why did God give us his instructions. There has to be a better answer than just those. Because some of them are way off the mark and some of them are just incomplete. I, I want to point you to a text that's that's even... Uh, it, 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 it really answers this question for me in a very, very simple way. And, and I know this is a long intro, but it's critical for us to understand this together. Look up here on the screen. It's in 1 John chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. It's up here on the screen, all right? So here's, here's what 1 John says. He's talking about God's commandments, and John writes this. He says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Here's what John is saying to us. If we ask ourselves the question, why has God put his life instructions, his commandments, his principles into this book, John would say, well, God's love is the foundation for his directives. It's because he loves you so much. And because they're given to us out of love, they are not burdensome to us. In fact, his commandments empower us and enable us to be victors and overcomers are the two words that John uses in 1 John chapter 5. It enables us to become victors and overcomers in the world around us. In other words, God has given us his instructions for our joy. And I bet you never thought about that. That God has given you his commandments, his life principles, his instructions for your joy. Because he knows that in your joy you will give glory to him. He's out for your best. He's out for not your happiness, your temporary stuff that goes away because you, you know, you got a new. Took or something, right? Like that's not, that's not joy. That's, joy is a deep abiding spiritual contentment and God has given us his commandments such that we might experience joy. He's given you his instructions for your joy. And Some of you think, ah, yeah, I don't, I don't know because like I, I, got, I got better ideas of how to get joy in my own life and I don't need necessarily God's commandments to do that. Really? Okay. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk on wine. Don't get drunk on wine. You know why it says that? Because there is no joy puking your guts out over a toilet. Some of you have done that before. Some of you, there will be a next time for you. And when that time comes, if that time comes, please don't do that. Obey Ephesians 5.18. But when that time comes, think to yourself, is this a joyful experience? It's not. You know why Proverbs twenty-two seven says the borrower is slave to the lender, because there's no joy in being up to neck in debt, up to your neck in debt. It's not a joyful experience. So God has given us these instructions, these life commandments, these principles for living for our joy. He didn't put them in there to shame us. He didn't put them in there arbitrarily. He didn't put them in there so we could compare ourselves to others. He put them in there for our joy. So today, from that perspective, with that frame of reference in mind, we are going to consider God's instructions on prayer for our joy. You with me? Colossians 4, verse 2. It's up here on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat back in front of you. Share with a neighbor. Use your phone if you want to. It's always up here on the screen. Colossians 4, verse 2. Here's what Paul writes to the church at Colossae. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. That's all we're going to cover today. That's it. One verse. Continue steadfastly. That means be devoted to, be constant and consistent in, continue steadfastly in prayer, be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul gives us three exhortations, three kind of life principles, three kind of guiding rules to help maximize our joy in prayer. The first of which is be consistent. Be consistent in prayer. Continue steadfastly in. That's what he's saying. Be consistent in prayer. And the Bible says this a bunch of different ways. Six different times in the New Testament, uh, Paul and other New Testament writers calls us to be devoted to prayer. That's the same language there. Continue steadfastly in. First Thessalonians uh, calls us to pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Be consistent. Be constant in talking to God and bringing to him your request and praising him. And coming to him in prayer. So here's the deal God is commanding us to pray. He's commanding us to pray fervently. He's commanding us to pray often. In fact, we are to never stop praying. We should always be praying consistently in communication with our Heavenly Father. And you might think to yourself, like, when would I work? Like, if I, if I was always, like, I have a job. Like, I can't, you know, all the time be doing this, all right? Because here's, here's, here's the thing, though. Here, here's, here, here's the deal. Here's the unfortunate truth. Most of us stink at prayer. You know what? Sorry. I came across harsh, didn't it um, I'll say it a different way. Like, most of us really stink at prayer. How about that? How about, does that feel better? Does that feel, good. All right, good. So most of us wouldn't say, I live a life that's in constant communication with God. I am always talking to him. Yes, I have, this, I have this command in front of me to be devoted to, be consistent in prayer, and I'm doing that. Like, I don't know very many people that do that. I, 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 I really don't. So here's, here's going to be the temptation for us today. If, if we think that God has put his commandments in here for us to be better people, here's what's going to happen. You're going to say to yourself, God wants me to be a better person. He knows that prayer will help. Well, I certainly don't pray enough. So today I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to get consistent in prayer. I'm going to get consistent. that's what God says. That's what the Bible says. And and that's what God is telling me to do to be a better person. I'm going to get consistent in prayer. And that's all guilt motivated, isn't it? You're trying to be a better person. You're trying to pre- appease God. You're trying to, you're trying to make him happy somehow with your behavior. So you're going to walk out of here and feel bad for not praying consistently. And then you're going to get things back in order for a day or two. And then it's going to drop off the ledge, isn't it? It's going to drop off the threshold. The pastor told me I should pray more now. I feel guilty and I'm going to zip it up for a couple days and it's not going to last. You know why? Because guilt-driven righteousness never lasts. Never. Guilt-driven righteousness always goes away over time. But listen, if we see God's commands from his perspective, if we know that he is charging us to be devoted to, be steadfast, and be consistent in prayer for our joy, then this command feels very different. Consider this. If God has given you his instructions for your joy, do you think that he would instruct you to do something that he has not made possible for you? Of course not. He's he's not putting commandments to frustrate you. Like he puts commandments in there because they're possible, right? It's actually possible. So when God commands us, when he exhorts us to pray without ceasing, to be consistent in prayer, to be devoted to prayer, to remain steadfast in prayer, God is actually telling us that that is possible. He's telling us that we can be in constant communication with him all of the time. So listen, the guilt-motivated prayer, not, 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 not the guilt-motivated prayer, but the person who prays and they're motivated by guilt would walk out of here and say, yeah, that pastor's right, I should really pay, pray more, and then they try to do that. But the person who knows that God loves them no matter what, the person who knows that God's commandments are in there for their joy would say this, God, by his grace to me, has made ongoing constant communication with him a real possibility. Jesus has opened the door to God. No ritual, no special clothing I got to wear, no sacrifice I got to do. I don't got to recite anything. There's no mediator between me and God. Just me and God talking together. The person who prays and they're motivated by God's grace and when they hear that command, continue steadfastly in prayer, this is what crosses their mind. I can pray anytime and anywhere. I can pray anytime and anywhere. God has made consistency in prayer a real possibility for me. You know that the Bible actually encourages us to annoy God with prayer? Do you know that? Like, he doesn't get annoyed, but this is what the Bible says. Look, look, you should, you should be knocking on God's door all the time. You know why? Because he loves it. He loves it. Just all the time. Be, just be going to him all the time. Why? Because he delights in it. He wants to talk to you. He loves to hear from you. Anytime you bow your head and go, Heavenly Father, he goes, Yes. He didn't put them in there to frustrate you. He put them in there for your joy. He loves to hear from you. This is not a command to make me feel guilty. It's not a command to make me feel ashamed. It's it's a command to remind me that at my office desk, or on my morning commute, before dinner, after dinner, in summer, in winter, at the cottage, and most importantly, when the Blue Jays sweep the Yankees at all times, at all times, I can be in constant communication with God anytime, anywhere, I can pray. Now, that's pretty cool. This command to be consistent is not a listen close, it's not a you should be consistent. Listen close. You can talk to God anytime you want to, consistently, in fact. That's grace, that's God's grace. You know why else a lot of us stink at prayer? gonna <laughs> talk about people that stink at prayer today. This is going to be great. Thanks for coming. Um, you, you, know why, you know why we stink at prayer? Because, because um, a lot of times, just be honest with me, we pray when, when life hits a bump, don't we? Like we, 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 hit, we hit a bump in the road, life gets hard, we hit a difficulty, we hit a challenge, and then we start to pray. In fact, most of us live in what I would call the cycle of prayerlessness. Here's how the cycle of prayerlessness works. We just live in prayerlessness all the time. That's, that's who we are. We just kind of live in that space. Maybe we pray before a meal and maybe we, you know, we pray maybe before bed with that 30 seconds you got right before, you know, you actually go to sleep because most of us, our head hits the pillow and we're gone, you know, maybe. But but for the most part, we wouldn't look at our life and go, I'm a prayerful person. We would, a lot of us, most of us, in fact, would look at our life and go, I, I just, I don't feel like I pray enough, right? I just, I gotta live in prayerlessness. There's a few of you that pray a lot and that's all right, but for the rest of us who are not as amazing as you are. Are. We We feel like we live, a, and I feel like the same way. Like, I don't wake up every day and go, man, I've, I, I really have spent a lot of time in prayer. It's almost as if I've spent too much time in prayer. Like, I don't think that way, right? I, we live in this prayerlessness. And then what happens? Well, crisis hits. Crisis hits. We got a bump in a road in life, and it drives us to our knees in prayer, and it causes us to live a life for a while of prayerfulness, Something happens in your life. Your kid goes off the rails. Your marriage goes off the rails. You hit financial difficulty. There's a test that you want to pass that you didn't actually study for. And you say, Oh God, I'm in crisis. Please teach me physics. Like, you know, you invented it. So you've got to know, you know. And then you live a life of prayerfulness. But then that prayerfulness wanes. You hit this time of waning and it drops off the ledge. And the cycle of prayerlessness starts again until a crisis comes back online. Where does the shift occur from prayerlessness to prayerfulness? Where's the hinge here? It's in crisis, isn't it? That's that key word. So when you have a big interview coming up, when you're experiencing anxiety or depression, when your marriage is on the rocks, when financial difficulties hit, whatever that crisis is, that's when you start to pray. Like even the atheist, even the atheist, when they hit a moment of crisis, when the plane starts to go down, they're saying, oh, dear God, save me. Like, you know. You didn't believe in God before this, but now a crisis hits and you're a prayerful person all of a sudden, right? And the bigger the crisis, the more fervent the prayer. When your kid gets sick, and I'm not talking like flu sick, I'm talking not get better sick. When that crisis hits, it drives you to your knees in prayer. And it's not like a bad thing, it just is what it is. Crisis drives us to our knees. Crisis really is the catalyst for prayer. You know why that's true, by the way? You know why crisis is the catalyst for prayer? Because there's something in the core of your being that tells you that God is the source of joy. There's something in the core of your being that tells you God is the source of joy. So if I run to him in prayer, number one, he can take away the crisis, or number two, he can somehow give me joy in the midst of it it's intuitive we know that god has given us his instructions and he's even given him given us himself for our joy so when i'm not experiencing joy that is to say when i'm experiencing crisis i run to god in prayer so he can replace my crisis with joy so here's here's like the worst news ever right if crisis is the catalyst for prayer and i believe it is look up here on the screen perpetual crisis equals perpetual prayer if I can live a life that is in crisis all the time, it's going to drive me to my knees in prayer. Now, I know that like in the last two years of being here, that's like the worst thing I've ever said, right? It's Like you want to be a prayerful person? You, you want to go to God all the time? You want to be in constant communication with him? Here's your key lesson for today. Make really dumb decisions that cause crisis in your life, and that will motivate you to pray. Oh, of course not. That's stupid. That's silly, right? That's not the core lesson. Here's the thing. It's not really the crisis itself that drives us to prayer, is it? It's the way that crisis makes us feel. When life hits a bump and when a challenge comes along, all of a sudden there's that sense of urgency. There's that sense of need. There's a weight on us that drives us to our knees in prayer. There's almost an angst that that a crisis creates in our life that causes us to pray. Now listen, Paul's got a better idea than making dumb decisions and living in crisis all the time. Listen to what he says. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer and be watchful in it. Be watchful in it. Some of you might be thinking, like, what is that, like, watchful, what does that have to do with crisis? Well, track with me here. Track with me. That word watchful there, it could be translated alert, be alert, or be mindful. So when Paul uh, says to be watchful, he helps us to create a sense of urgency, a weight of crisis in our life. When he says, be alert. Be awake, be on guard, keep your eyes open, be watchful. Well, alert to what, or watchful to what? Look at what 1 Peter 5, 8 says. Peter writes this, it's up here on the screen, He says, be sober-minded and be, say it with me, watchful. Same word, for what? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Let that metaphor sink in. There is a personal evil out there that is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you. How about John 10.10? John 10.10 says it this way. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. Same idea in John 10:10 10, 10 that we started with. I came for your joy. I came for life. I came to give it to you abundantly, but the enemy is trying to rob you of it. It's trying to steal, kill and destroy your life and take joy from you. So be alert. Be on guard. pay attention. Like honestly, I'm convinced that most of us aren't prayerful people because we don't think that we live in crisis all the time but the reality is we do not only do we live in crisis all the time but we're living in a war all the time a spiritual war where we have a real personal enemy that is on the prowl trying to take down our life and take down our joy and if we if we realize that honestly I think we pray more that's what I think I think we pray more we're, we're like a soldier, like pick, picture this with me, right? Picture this with me. You've got, a, you've got a battlefield, like D-Day or Normandy, right? And people are storming the beach at Normandy, and then, and then a dude walks out onto the battlefield with like Birkenstocks on, and like skinny jeans, and a deep V-neck, and a man bun. You know what a man bun is? Everybody knows what a man bun is? Some of you know what a man bun is. You're laughing already. All right, I'm going to talk about a man bun for a minute just to fill you in, for those of you who haven't had the privilege. Um, There are guys out there, like the hip thing to do these days is to like grow your hair out and put your hair in a bun, like dudes. Put your hair in a bun on the top of your head. It's called a man bun. You You ever feel like you're like running through the Rolodex of appropriate comments in your mind? You're trying to figure out, can I say that? Nope. Can I say that? Nope. Can I say that? Nope. That's how I feel about the man bun. Okay, so, so picture that guy, the man bun guy with the tight, deep V-neck, skinny jeans, Birkenstocks, and like a beer koozie, walking out onto the beaches of Normandy, walking out onto the battlefield. What would you say to that dude? Like, don't you know you're in a battle? Don't you know you're in a war? Don't you know you're in a moment of crisis? Like, put the beer down. Get up. Gear up. Be alert, be mindful, get ready for battle. Listen, we have a real enemy. A real adversary. He's after your marriage. He's after your kids. He's after our church. He's after our unity as believers. And his desire is to rob us of life and joy. He promotes shame and secrecy and heartache and broken relationships. And we walk around and act like that stuff is accidental. It's not. We have an enemy. So be alert. Be watchful. Be on guard in prayer. All right, let's finish the verse. Here we go. Let's finish it. Paul writes this Continue steadfastly, be consistent in prayer, and be watchful in it. Be mindful, be alert. What? With thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Paul tells us to be thankful, to be thankful in prayer, to be grateful. You know, you can always be thankful. You can always be thankful. You can always be grateful. It doesn't cost you anything to be thankful. And here's the bummer about this truth that we can always be thankful. Here's the unfortunate part. Is that when we have a lot of things that we're excited about being thankful for, it's fun to be thankful, isn't it? But when life hits difficulty and life hits challenge and we hit that crisis once again and, you know, we we, kind of have a difficult time being thankful, that truth still rings true. You can always be thankful. As long as you're drawing breath, there is something to be thankful to God for, to be grateful to him for. And rather than telling you all the things you can thank God for in prayer... Because I don't know, I don't know what's going on in your life. You've got things you can be thankful for, but rather than guessing and kind of come up with hypothetical situations of things you can be thankful to God for in prayer, I just wrote down a bunch of my own. Is that all right? And I'm just going to read them to you. Like, if you resonate with these, great. Thank God for these things. And, and if not, that's fine. You've got your own list. But I just jotted down all the things I can be thankful to God for in prayer. Because Paul, God through his word, has encouraged me to continue steadfastly, be alert, and be thankful in prayer. Here are the things I wrote down I can thank God for. I can thank God for my health. I can thank God for my wife. I can thank God for my daughter. I'm a literate person. I can read. I can write. Much of the world can't say that. I have health care. I have a car. I live in a safe house that's climate controlled. Air conditioning in the summer. And, uh, which summer in Canada. Um heat in the winter Uh, i didn't go hungry yesterday you can tell by the way i'm shaped it's been a while since i've gone hungry Uh, i have friends i have a great church i love my job i can hear i can taste food education is accessible for me i have a wonderful extended family based on this text today i can go to god in prayer anytime i want i felt the sun on my face yesterday i woke up this morning I can sing along to some pretty outstanding music here at Bayview Glen, and I even wrote that before they did this awesome thing they did this morning. I have partners in ministry that I love dearly. I get the privilege of serving on an elder board with some of the godliest men I've ever met. Two years ago, I moved to what Forbes magazine called the world's most livable city to a church that welcomed me with open arms just, to see, just in time to see more snow in one winter than I had ever seen in my entire life up to that point. I got a lot to be thankful for. I got a lot to be thankful for. You know what? You do too. You do too. If you think about it, you got a lot to be thankful for. So be consistent. God loves to hear you pray. Go to Him. Be alert, be on guard, and be thankful. Let's pray together. God, we come to you today because we can because you've opened that door wide, because you've given us the opportunity and the ability to do that. God, remind us today that you delight in our prayer, that you love it when we come to you. God, we forget that sometimes. God, remind us today that you love to interact with us in prayer. God, remind us today that we've got a real enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, and that we need to be alert, be on guard, and be mindful, and let that drive us to our knees in prayer. And remind us today, oh God, to be thankful. God, as we prepare our hearts now to receive communion, as we sing and continue to worship, just continue to draw us to yourself. In Christ's name, amen.